And we are live. We back. 100% live 100. recording. It's a live recording. 100%. 100. You know, you know you're live, live whenever you're recording. <laughs> <laughs> One hundo. <laughs> so, hey, we are in Genesis 32. This is awesome. Every single day, awesome. Absolutely loving it. And we actually have something that's pretty interesting here that we're going to be learning about today. Before we get into all that, I would like to do a quick summary of chapter 31 so that we can kind of level set and remember how we got here. So, summary of chapter 31, Jacob's plan of becoming wealthy is ultimately accomplished in chapter 31. However, Laban and his sons are unhappy with him because Jacob is becoming wealthy at the expense of Laban. God tells Jacob to leave the land he is living in, to go back to the land God promised him and his father's. And ultimately, Jacob leaves without telling Laban that he's going to be leaving. And he takes his entire family and the flock that he has earned according to the agreement that Laban and him had. Now, After J Jacob has left and is on his travels, Laban ultimately notices that he's gone and chases after him with, it seems to be a company of men. Laban chases him down, and they ultimately have a confrontation. Laban accuses Jacob of theft and deception, and which the theft is absolutely untrue. <laughs> and Jacob ultimately defends himself from these accu accusations, and he defends himself, I would say, successfully. While at the same time, he also kind of throws some jabs back at Laban for being somewhat selfish as well. Finally, they make a covenant during this confrontation in which they basically both say, hey, I'm not going to cross this line to attack you and you're not going to cross this line to attack me. So it seems they've kind of established territories in which, hey, don't come over here and attack me and don't come over here. Or, and, and I won't go over here and attack you, ultimately. Um, Laban ultimately leaves their meeting. They kiss each other. You know, the family gets a lot of kisses. They say goodbye. And now we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 32. Justin, would you do the honors? Yes. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And when he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he named that place Manahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them saying, this is what you shall say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says the following. I have resided with Laban and stayed until now. And I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent messengers to my Lord, so that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. And four hundred men are with him. 
Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks, the herds, and the camels in two companies. For he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So Laban's left this confrontation, and Jacob gets on his merry way on his travels back to the land that God ultimately promised him and his fathers. And so Jacob's on his way back, and it seems here that some angels of God come to meet Jacob, which we see in verse 1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And when he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. And so first off, um, I suspect that Jacob could have had some level of comfort, right? If you see angels that are meeting you, this is going to be another reminder of God's promises. And that would at least give me a, a, a lot of comfort. Also, it's, it's worth noting that Mahanaim means two camps or two companies. And then Jacob starts to think about his entrance back home to his family. And he, at this point, I believe, I believe he's starting to think about how he left Esau when he last saw him, right? So Jacob and Esau's, one of their last interactions was essentially Jacob eating, uh, stealing Esau's blessing from their father. And Esau pretty much wanting to kill Jacob. And so that's their last interaction, really. And Jacob is remembering this as he comes home and is seems to be a little bit concerned. He, he does some stuff here. Justin. Yeah, you summed it up. I don't have much to add, uh, you know. Uh, like you said with the angels. So I, I find it interesting both exiting and entering the promised land. Uh, we see that, that Jacob sees angels uh, and kind of has these supernatural heavenly encounters. Uh, and so he should feel protected, right? He should um, feel good about that. Uh, and then so obviously in this first section, we see how Jacob is really afraid, like you talked about, because when he first, last saw Esau, Esau wasn't happy with him. And now he hears that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 dudes. So um, that sounds like it might not go well. It could not go well, you know. Right. I mean, if you're, if you believe your brother could possibly still be angry with you and the last interaction was that he wanted to kill you and he's got an army with him. I don't know how many welcome home parties include an army of 400 men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I would also, um, you know, you also see Jacob, I think, humbling himself for his brother as well. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe out of fear, I suspect Definitely. at least, when he says, when he tells the messengers that are ultimately going to meet Esau, he tells them in verse 4, he commanded them saying, this is what you shall say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says the following. Jacob's calling himself a servant to his brother Esau. And so he's he's positioning himself 
in a humble way as opposed to positioning himself as the head of the family, the one that received the blessing and the birthright <laughs> through his deception, you know. So technically speaking, isn't Esau technically Jacob's servant, right? I think that's what Isaac was kind of saying towards towards the end um, whenever Jacob, one of Jacob's last conversations with his father. Verse 9, then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the favor and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies. Save me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will assuredly make you prosper and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be counted. Yes, so with this section, we see that obviously Jacob prayed to God for protection from Esau. And Jacob actually reminds God of what he had promised him. So in part of his prayer, he's like, hey, God, remember that you you promised to look out for me on this. Um, I got to say, though, that in verse 10, this is um, the best light that I remember ever seeing Jacob in. Uh, when he talks about he's unworthy, he's unworthy of God's favor, um, which to me is a sign of spiritual growth. Because uh, I believe the the more you spiritually mature, the more you see God's holiness uh, and your sinfulness in light of him and your unworthiness. Um, so for me, this is one of the highest points in scripture uh, for Jacob. And it's, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, I would say there seems to be a marked difference here from who Jacob is to perhaps who he was before. And so this is, we're starting to see Jacob transform, right? We've kind of watched Jacob throughout his life and we've seen him transform a little bit and he's definitely recognizing and putting his faith in God as opposed to purely his ability to outwit people. Cool, verse 13. So he spent the night there then he selected from what he had with him a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Then he placed them in the care of his servants, every flock by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between flocks. Then he commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you, and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a gift sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. 
Then he commanded also the second and the third, and all those who followed the flock, saying, In this way you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the gift that goes ahead of me. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the gift passed on ahead of him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Now he got up that same night and took his two wives, his two female slaves and his 11 children and crossed the shallow place of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. So Jacob here seems to have a, a what I would call a buttering up plan. He's looking to butter up his brother before he has to ultimately see him. Now I've done this plenty of times, especially as a youngster with my, with my parents, where if I wanted something, you can't just go and ask for it right away. You got to butter them up a little bit, you know, spend a little bit of time greasing the wheels if I, if I may. Now, then you ask for it. Well, this is, seems to be a, a pretty similar situation. Jacob is sending a bunch of gifts to Esau such that if Esau is still angry with him, maybe this will butter him up a little bit such that whenever Esau finally sees Jacob, maybe he's had a change of heart. I think that's what's going through Jacob's head. Now, Jacob has a pretty nice gift here. Um, it seems to me that Jacob has become very, very wealthy during these last six years with Laban. He's got a bunch of animals. Now, if you're not in agriculture or farming or ranching or whatever, when you see all these cows and goats and all this other stuff, that doesn't mean anything to you. You just think a bunch of animals. I didn't grow up on a farm or a ranch or I didn't know anything about that until, um, I would say, yeah, I, I would say uh, there's a, there's a moment in which I went to a cattle auction and at this cattle auction, I started to see dollar signs flash between flash in front of my eyes. I couldn't believe how much money one of these animals was ultimately worth. I mean, I, these days, a cow can go for like a thousand bucks or more, you know? Um, and so when you see, I think the total count of all these animals that Jacob is giving as a gift is 580 animals. Now, this is not all of Jacob's animals. Verse 13, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a gift for his brother Esau. He selected from what he had. So he didn't just give it all, right? He seemed to select some from many. And so that means Jacob had even more than this. Now, I don't know how much these 580 animals were worth back then. I don't even know technically how much they're worth today. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jacob in today's dollars, this is hundreds of thousands, if not over a million dollars worth of animals that Jacob has collected at this point. Jacob's, he's wealthy. He's a rich man. And God ultimately blessed Jacob. That was, you know, 
through outward appearances, people might see Jacob as this shrewd, crafty guy. That that's ultimately how he got all this stuff. But ultimately, Jacob received these blessings from God. Listen, there's a lot of shrewd, crafty people that don't end up this rich too. You know, so before we start thinking Jacob's just this crazy, smart, super successful guy all on his own, I would pump pump the brakes on that a little bit. You know, uh, regardless, God gave Jacob his intellect. And his abilities to ultimately come up with all these animals. But even on top of that, you know, God's hands all over this. And um, yeah, and as uh, kind of I mentioned before, we also see a special message that Jacob has for Esau as well with regards to verse 18. Then you will say, these belong to your servant, Jacob. These belong to your servant, Jacob. This is speaking to Esau. So now Jacob is also calling himself Esau's servant again. It is a gift sent to my Lord, Esau. So we have another situation in which Jacob is putting himself in a humbled position below his brother, Esau, Justin. Yeah, I agree. And um, like you were saying, this is a gift in order to try to appease Esau, to try to sway him from not attacking him. Um, so we saw Jacob pray to God. So Jacob is hoping that God will rescue him. But Jacob is also still using his own human strategy uh, to try to avert this as well. And so um, we see Jacob, he didn't cross the river. He stays back. He sends all these things ahead. And so I think the last section we read, I talked about how I saw Jacob in one of the most admirable moments in scripture. And so it's actually this section that I see him at one of his lowest. He sends his wives and kids ahead to stay behind, right? Now we do know he stays behind and we're about to get into the, the wrestling scene that happens. But the point is earlier in verse eight, Jacob said, uh, hey, I'll send these other people ahead, right? He's pretty much sending servants on ahead, messengers, to tell uh, Esau this. And if, if Esau attacks those messengers, he's like, well, I'll be able to escape. And so I can't help but feel this way in this section as well, almost like, look, send the women and children ahead. Surely, hopefully, hopefully he's cooled off by at least then, you know what I'm saying? And so this is not um, this is not a good moment for him, in my opinion. I, or the the way I read this, I just I don't see that well. But um, so that way, Jacob still potentially could escape theoretically. But we know uh, when Jacob's staying here, there is a pivotal scene that's about to happen uh, that we're going to get into. Yeah, I think in most movies in which you know there's there's danger the 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 father or the dad or the boyfriend or the husband usually tells the women and children, Hey, get behind me in case something happens to me. Nothing will happen to you. Right. Not Jacob. <laughs> Not Jacob. <laughs> Jacob in that scene in which there's guns and bullets flying across the screen. Yeah. He seems to have a different yeah. approach. Yeah. Send the women and children out first. Hopefully they won't shoot them, but if they do, then I can get away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the women and children will will tug at his heart. And you're like, well, I can't. We're killing. 
I can't go killing people now. They got women and children here, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And then he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have contended with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the tendon of the hip, which is on the socket of the hip, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the tendon of the hip. So here we see that Jacob wrestled with a physical manifestation of God. Um, so in a lot of in scripture, uh, the term for that is theophany. And like I said, it just means physical manifestation of God. So God showed up there. Um, so this event for Jacob ended with both a limp and a blessing. And so this was significant in that it ended up impacting the diet of the entire nation of Israel, even though the that was not in the Mosaic law. It was not um, a rule that God gave them to not eat that area, um, the meat in that area. But either way, this event was special. And so it impacted their diet. So here we see that God renamed Jacob to Israel. So it's kind of like God is giving him a new identity. Um, while the name Jacob means deceiver, here the name prob here the name Israel probably means God fights. Um, and one of the the things too that that I see here that's pretty heavy is they they fought all night. It looks like. Um, and so if they, we if we got any viewers that are fighters out there, you'll know that fighting is very draining. And so it's crazy to think that. Um, obviously Jacob was very passionate. He was very stubborn. He was very, uh, had a lot, you know, had a lot of energy to, to go all night like this. Um, but yeah, that's pretty crazy. Totally. Yeah, totally crazy. Um, I think it's interesting that when Jacob ultimately pins, this physical manifestation of God that he asked for a blessing as opposed to, I don't know, a number of other things that I could potentially think of asking for. And I guess a blessing is somewhat um, general. I mean, that can mean just about anything, but I think Jacob here is likely thinking of what's going to happen in the next 24, 48, 72 hours, which is basically his meeting with Esau. 
you know, Jacob really didn't have anywhere to go back to. Uh, what was he going to do? Go back to Laban? Uh, no, I don't think that was going to happen. Really, the only way was to go forward. I mean, he only had really one option. That's ultimately what God wanted for him as well. And so Jacob's definitely really terrified. Um, and I, I suspect part of this blessing is, you know, a thought of protection ultimately for this moments that are about to come. And I'll also add this, um, as we read the next several chapters in Genesis, uh, Moses, the author of the first five books of the Bible, it's my understanding that Moses uses, uses the name Jacob whenever Jacob's acting kind of like his old self, and he uses Israel Jacob's new name, Israel, whenever Jacob is being his new self, his new faithful self. And so when you see these names used interchangeably, this was very confusing for me whenever I was reading the Bible. Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel. This is just something you're going to have to memorize. Jacob and Israel are the same person. And this is the moment in which Jacob got his new name, Israel. Now, this isn't the first time. Someone got a name change. Sarai, Abraham's wife, had her name changed to Sarah. And then Abram had his name changed to Abraham. Now those are a lot more <laughs> easy to remember <laughs> because they're very slight variations. But keep this in mind. And there's also a bunch of there's name changes in the New Testament too. So just be ready for some of these name changes. Because they're coming, and it's one of those things you just have to memorize. Yeah, so once again, I guess one of my big application takeaways um, is going back and reflecting on when Jacob said, recognized that he was unworthy. And that's really a core part of the gospel is that a holy, righteous God created all existence uh, and people. And people sinned against God and are unworthy. Uh, and so what we see here that God loves people. And so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for sin. And it, it, it's not about, it's not that we can become worthy by any actions or anything, but it's by recognizing our own unworthiness and our own inability to reach God with our behavior, but to just put our faith in Christ um, for that reconciliation with God. And also when we realize our unworthiness, uh, of, you know, even as a believer, we're very grateful uh, for the things that God has, has done for us. And it changes how we approach him, life, and other people. But a lot of people struggle with this thought. A lot of people think that they're not that bad um, right. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like Hitler, right. I don't really kill anybody, stuff like that. And they're just, they don't see themselves as that bad. Or I know there's the argument, a lot of, uh, people struggle with this. How could a loving God, you know, uh, send people to hell or, or for, you know, but the thing is all of this displays ignorance about God's holiness and about how unworthy we are. Uh, in light of who God is. And, and in this verse, I just really think, man, Jacob got it. 
you know, in this verse, it's like, uh, I mean, I feel like a light bulb, something clicked and, and he got it. Hey, I'm really unworthy um, to receive any blessing from God. And so, um, like I said before, I, I think that's the, the markings of a, a maturing believer is when you finally um, see, hey, like, man, I am just, uh, you know, in, in, in my sin, um, so unworthy. And, and in Isaiah uh, 64, it talks about how our righteous deeds are as filthy rags, right? And so when compared to who God is and, and what he's done, uh, we, we can't measure up at all. And so we need to have uh, a healthy perspective on, on God's holiness and our unworthiness. But that's not to not in a way to feel bad about ourselves, um, because if you put trusted Christ as your Savior, then your identity is in him. And, and you see that you have value and people do have value because we were created by God in the image of God. So therefore, God gave people value. But we also need to understand his holiness and keep that in the correct perspective. Absolutely. Um, to kind of tackle this at a slightly different angle, um, what type of, this makes me think about what type of man I want to be. Do I want to be the type of man who is Jacob, the name Jacob, a man of deception, even if it leads to you know, some type of success. Is that still the type of man I want to be? Or do I want to be Israel, a man who fights with God, right? Which sounds like a bad thing, but um, it's my understanding that, that that name, Israel, is a good thing. It's a good thing. And God ultimately, obviously, I know it's a good thing because God ultimately gave him that name. But do you want to be someone that uh, puts God first in your life, has faithfulness, or do you want to be someone who has themselves first in their life, uses deception ultimately to get to where they want to go? My personal experience has been that whenever I was a Jacob, it wasn't great. My life was subpar. You know, even, even if you do reach some level of success going down that route, it doesn't really feel that good. You know, it doesn't matter how much success you get. It's not going to feel that good. And having some type of success, success as Israel, you know, that's ultimately God's plan for your life. That's a blessing from God. And you're just thankful. It's not really a moment of pride that you have. It's just a moment of, I think, humbleness. Hey, I'm just thankful that I even get to be a part of this big plan that God has for me. Not, hey, look at, look at all that I'm doing. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful I am. I'm doing this, this, and this, and that. So my experience going the Israel route way better, way more fun secret. It's way more fun. Actually. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and way more enjoyable, way more, a lot of things. Okay. I'm not going to get into all that. We'll have to get into that later, but it's just, it's just more fun. So, and I think whenever you die, you're going to look back on your deathbed and be like, man, I actually did it. I did what I set out to do I, I, with God, of course. Right. We did it. You know, God did it. And I got to be a part of that. It's probably the best way to put it. It's more better. That's right. Guys, everybody, bros, everybody, whether everybody. you're a bro or not a bro. Okay. We really excited that we got to do this. 
chapter with you. We will see you in chapter 33. There's, there's, we kind of left on a cliffhanger here. Yeah, we did. You what's going to happen? Is Jacob going to die? Is he not going to die? That's right. We don't know what's <laughs> going to happen yet. No. Jacob's on the verge of meeting Esau. I'm extremely curious to find out what <laughs> happens next. Okay. Yeah. I cannot wait to read the next chapter. This has been written down for a couple thousand years and we just, we're going to have to wait <laughs> till the next episode to find out what happened. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, no sneaking ahead. Okay. No peeking <laughs> ahead. Just kidding. Just kidding. Y'all can tell totally <laughs> you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful and crazy blessed day. Thank you. Mm.